You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. In late October, at a rally in Colorado, Donald Trump held in his little greasy Cheeto-colored fingers a rainbow flag. Someone in the crowd was holding up a rainbow flag, and they passed it up to the stage and scrawled on this rainbow flag, rainbow flag, of course, being the flag of the LGBT community, were the words LGBT for Trump. And Donald Trump held that flag up, and people took his pictures, and they went places, those pictures. A writer in the Washington Times, which is a conservative paper owned by the rabidly anti-gay Unification Church, a right-wing rag of a paper, described this event, Donald Trump holding a rainbow flag in his hands and that rainbow flag not bursting to flames as an historic moment for gay equality. No other Republican nominee in history has embraced the LGBT community in such a loud and proud way, wrote Richard Grenell. A gay man and an asshole and a former official in the administration of George W. Bush, of course, who was a man who brutally exploited anti-gay prejudice to secure a second term in office by running anti-same-sex marriage initiatives in 11 states to turn out the right-wing, knuckle-dragging, fundamentalist Christian asshole anti-gay vote. Grinnell, who is now so concerned with LGBT equality, worked for George W. Bush, something to bear in mind. This moment, Donald Trump touching a rainbow flag with his greasy orange fingers in front of a crowd, was pointed to by some of the brain-dead, self-lobotomized queer idiots who supported Trump, a handful of gay men, as evidence that this was our guy, that he was pro-gay and we needed to trust Donald Trump. And somebody even founded an organization called LGB Trump, which when you saw the logo looked like LGBT rump. Because, of course, the really good gay graphic artists were going to have nothing to do with this organization. So they shat the bed. Before he won the election, if you wanted any evidence of who Donald Trump was going to be after he won the election, Donald Trump selected Indiana Governor Mike Pence as his running mate. Pence, while he was governor of Indiana, signed a bill legalizing anti-gay discrimination in his state and advocated spending money meant for HIV prevention on ex-gay conversion therapies, including electroshock therapy. Better to electrocute the gay out of you then spend five cents of taxpayers' dollars educating you about sexual safety. And since winning the election, all of Trump's appointees have been anti-LGBT. Trump's pick for Secretary of Defense, James Mattis, opposes letting gays, lesbians, and bisexuals serve openly in the military, wants to return us to the days of anti-queer witch hunts. Senator Jeff Sessions, Trump's pick for Attorney General, isn't just a racist piece of shit. He's also an anti-LGBT piece of shit with a zero rating from the Human Rights Campaign. Tom Price, Trump's pick for Health and Human Services, isn't just a rabid anti-Obamacare opponent. He is also an anti-LGBT bigot who wants a constitutional amendment banning same-sex marriage and who voted against hate crimes laws meant to protect the LGBT community. The list goes on and on. Every single one of Trump's picks has rejected the LGBT community and our rights and our lives and our families in a, to quote Richard Grinnell, loud and proud way. One more example. The man on top of Trump's list for potential Supreme Court nominees, William Pryor, thinks gay sex should be a crime, thinks it should be a felony, thinks people who have homosexual sex should be thrown into prison where the homosexual sex stops. 
another fun fact about William Pryor. There are nude photos believed to be of him taken while he was in college for a porn magazine circulating online. He denies, Pryor denies that these pictures are of him, but he would, wouldn't he? Just Google William Pryor gay porn. Look at the pictures. Judge for yourself. And last week, NBC News reported that one of the Trump administration's first legislative priorities is going to be something they're calling the First Amendment Defense Act, or the FADA, or FADA. FADA reports NBC News would prohibit the federal government from taking discriminatory action against any business or person that discriminates against LGBTQ people. The act aims to protect the rights of all entities to refuse service to LGBT people based on two sets of beliefs. Marriage is or should be recognized as the union of one man and one woman, and sexual relations are properly reserved to such a marriage. FADA would do for the entire country what the Republicans in North Carolina did for the LGBT community in North Carolina, legalize anti-LGBT discrimination. And in Orwellian turn of the knife, FADA would prevent the federal government from discriminating against people who discriminate against people who happen to be LGBT. Jennifer Pizer, law and policy director at Lambda Legal, told NBC that this law, quote, invites devastating discrimination against LGBT people. She also said that FADA is crazy unconstitutional. Here's Pizer. This proposed new law violates both equal protection and the Establishment Clause by elevating one set of religious beliefs above all others and by targeting LGBT Americans as a group contrary to settled constitutional law. So, Richard Grinnell and the handful of other cocksucking apologists for Trump the candidate and now Trump the president-elect, we are at an historic moment for gay equality, a moment when the incoming brand new shiny orange Republican administration is going to attack gay equality. We are, as I said, the night Trump won the election, we are going to have to lawyer the fuck up. I know everyone's been making donations here and there to the ACLU, to Planned Parenthood, to immigrants' rights groups. You might want to throw a few bucks Lambda Legal's way as well. LambdaLegal.org might want to throw a few bucks their way as well because we are going to, as the ACLU said to Donald Trump the night he won the election, we are going to see you in court, motherfuckers. Because LGBT people, we aren't just out and proud. We are out and proud and we are lawyered the fuck up. Speaking of out and proud, ain't nobody outer or prouder than Randy Rainbow, who joins us today on the podcast along with Gabriel Moss and tons of you guys with tons of your questions all coming up on today's show. I guess my uh, issue is uh, I'm involved in a, with a really amazing woman uh, who actually enjoys wanting to give, m give me head. However, she's not really good at it. I've had really great head, which has kind of, I guess, uh, impacted my, I guess, the grading score I got. I mean, you know, there's a certain sensitivity. Anyway, uh, the, the other aspect of the thing is that I was mostly as a kid, so when I'm and she doesn't take feedback really well, uh, but she does know about my past. And uh, in my head, when I trying to think of ways to correct her, I hear my father correcting me because that was what happened to me when I was uh, between six and eight. Uh, so it, it just fucks up in my head. So I don't know how to give her proper guidance in that area or, uh, and make me not creep out. First, of course, I want to say I'm so sorry for what was done to you, and I want to congratulate you for how 
thoroughly processed, it seems to be, that you've arrived at a place where you can acknowledge this and you know where your triggers are. You know, if you go here to this certain place and engage in this kind of a conversation about that kind of an act, that that's going to be upsetting for you and you want to know how to work your way around it. Seems to me that email is your friend. If offering a critique verbally is uh, something that's going to throw you back into those moments when you were raped by the person who should have been protecting you from the kinds of people who might rape children, then don't do it verbally. Don't do it out loud. Write it out. Do it in an email. You say that she is aware of the abuse that you suffered and that she is understanding and compassionate about it. And if she is indeed understanding and compassionate about what you suffered and the lasting impact and the damage that you still live with that was inflicted upon you, she should be able to accept this workaround and be gracious and kind and understanding and compassionate about it. That this is the sort of feedback that you need to give via email as opposed to in conversation. That said, maybe this isn't an area where any feedback from you is going to result in any improvement on her side. Some people are just bad at some things and better at others. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. It may be possible that your girlfriend cannot change her blowjob style that might work for other men may not be that she's bad at it. Maybe she's great at it for other guys, but her technique, her style doesn't work for you. And you might just have to live with the blowjobs as they come from her. And you might have to focus on the things that do work, the stuff where you guys do click and not obsess about something that you may not be able to change feedback or no feedback. Again, I am so sorry for the hand that was dealt you, for what was done to you, for the way that you were violated. And I'm glad to hear that you're in a place where you can live with this, have a decent and fun and fulfilling sex life while conscious of the workarounds that you need to protect your mental health. Hi, Dan. I'm a 20-something cis female calling from Toronto, Canada. Um, I've been in a monogamous relationship with my boyfriend for almost eight years, and my question for you is in two parts. Um, so first, I'm in a long-distance relationship at the moment, and I'm finding it very difficult to get in the mood when I do see my boyfriend. Uh, once we get to the sex, it's great, and I've never been happier in my relationship. Um, the long-distance experience has actually really helped our communication and has brought us a lot closer together. Um, however, whenever I do see him, which is only about once or twice a month, um, I feel like sex is more of an obligation or a chore than something I'm really looking forward to. Uh, he doesn't really pressure me, um, but of course, I know he wants to have sex, so I feel like in order to be a good girlfriend and to keep him happy, I have to do it as many times as we can before I leave. Um, just for some background, for the first few years of our relationship, we had a lot of problems. Um, we argued constantly, and our sex life definitely suffered. Um, I was very reluctant to be intimate with someone um, that I felt emotionally disconnected from. Um, but we worked through all that stuff. And now that we're in a long distance relationship and we have such a strong emotional bond, I thought that a strong desire for sex would follow. So Dan, what is this mental block that is keeping me from getting excited about having sex? I love my boyfriend and I'm so attracted to him. So what's the deal? Is it just the pressure of feeling like I have to be intimate because I don't see him often? Um, or is this natural for someone in a relationship of, you know, seven plus years? And the second part of my question is um, that my boyfriend loves to go down on me, um, but it just does nothing for me. Um, it's not awful, um, but I never get off. And most of the time, I'm just waiting for it to be over. I have climaxed from oral before, um, but not with him. And I just don't think he knows what he's doing. Um, or maybe he just doesn't know what I like. 
um, how do I break this to him? Should I just flat out tell him I don't enjoy it, which is tough because I know how much he likes it. And it's been so long. I, I feel like he'll be upset if I, uh, that I haven't been honest. Or do I subtly or strongly hint at some tips that may make it more enjoyable for me? I have a theory about why you're dreading sex with your boyfriend when you see him. And it's not about it being obligatory. You know what I think it is? Uh, what? I think the sex sucks and you don't communicate with him and you can't and you're having shitty sex that you don't enjoy and, and you're not telling him. He doesn't know what you like. You say – and you, you just said that about oral sex, that he loves to go down on you but – and you've enjoyed oral sex with others but there's something about the way he does it. His technique doesn't do it for you. You don't come with him. It doesn't feel good and you endure it and that mm. is carving a groove in you that is making you dread – being intimate with him. Even if he's good at the other shit that you guys do in bed, you fear that at some point he's going to pivot to this thing that he's terrible at and that you're too inhibited despite you saying that you guys communicate really well now, you're too inhibited to give him any feedback about. Yeah, I definitely think that has something to do with it. I I <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it's it's difficult with the distance to kind of just jump into it. Um, but um, it definitely does have something to do with that. I think I should probably be more honest with him. But like, how do I how do I do that without kind of like bruising his ego? Or do I just not care about his ego? You don't care about his ego. How many? Okay. You, how long are you going to let him give you shitty oral sex that you don't enjoy? that then leaves you in a state where you dread the rest of the sex that you might enjoy. How's the PIV? How's the rest of it? The rest of it is great. Like I, um, we have a great time. Like once we kind of get into the actual sex, it's great. But the foreplay for me is kind of just a drag and, and it's necessary to kind of like get us in the mood, but, um, but it's not, I, I getting, you, I guess it's it's not getting you in the mood. It's putting you not in the mood to fuck this guy. So, yeah. so this isn't something like every like 15th time or every fourth time you guys have sex, there's oral. He wants to eat your pussy every single fucking time. Yeah, and pretty it, much. And it's awful and you don't enjoy it. No, not at all. And you're wondering why you dread having sex with him when you see him, knowing that you've got to clear this oral hurdle first. You've got to get through this oral ordeal first before you get yeah. to the sex you enjoy. That's the reason. It's not about distance. Yeah. It's not about obligation. It's not about any of the rest of it. It's... There's only so long you can put up with shitty oral sex and you're going to have to fucking say something, even if it bruises his ego. Otherwise, and this will bruise his ego much worse. I don't think that's proper grammar, but whatever. It'll be worse for him if you just withdraw and stop having yeah. the sex that you do enjoy with him because you dread the foreplay that you don't enjoy. Absolutely. And he's definitely noticed it as well. And I just haven't really been honest. I've kind of just said, oh, it's me. It's you know, my problem, but it definitely is, you know, so what's between he, us. And, what, what is he doing wrong? If if you were like completely uninhibited for a minute and you didn't have to worry about bruising his ego, if you knew he had a Teflon ego, it couldn't be bruised, nothing would stick to it. What would you say? What's he doing wrong? Um, I just think he's paying attention to the wrong areas. Like it's more about his pleasure than it is about mine. No vagueness. What area is he paying attention to? That's the wrong area or areas. And what area do you need him to pay attention to? So I like um, at the top of my pussy. Like I'm all about like, I guess the hood, I think it's called. I've done a little reading so mm -hmm. far. Um, but he's all about like the lips and, you know, getting really in there. And I it just it really just doesn't make me feel good. So he's trying to shove um, his fucking face up your vaginal canal. 
Ace, exactly. And, and you want his lips and tongue on your the hood of your clitoris and the glands of your clitoris. You want him up there at the top and outside. Exactly. Not trying to climb yeah. up inside your uterus face first. Yeah. And he's all about like the tongue action and I kind of just want like like a vacuum. <laughs> like mm-hmm. if I could be totally honest. Like I uh, just all over that. And um it doesn't seem to matter what I say, he keeps falling back into um the other stuff and uh, maybe I just am not being clear enough but uh what, what have you said? Well, I've kind of just said, you know, oh, um like you know, suck up there or you know, like, sorry, I'm very awkward with this kind of stuff. But, um, y- you know, I-, I haven't really said, you know, I don't like this. Okay. So you have, you have, you have attempted to gently guide him in the direction you would like him to go without informing him that the direction he typically goes not only does nothing for you, but turns you off. Exactly. You are going to play this recording for him. You're going to put the earbuds in his head and just play this. Okay. And I am going to say to him now, because he's listening to me now, don't be a baby about this. People have a hard time communicating about sex. The, the rest of the sex was great. Now you know that your this thing that you were doing, trying to shove your face up into her uterus, wasn't pleasant or pleasurable for her. You're down there in part to get yourself off, in part and primarily to help get her off. Do what works for her now that you know what it is. And to you, caller, you know what I would say to you? Every once in a while, let him try to shove his face up your vag, up your pussy. Let him just like get in there and motorboat a little bit for just a minute. Yeah. I think, is it, is it, un, is it unpleasurable in this way that's just like, that feels uncomfortable, that hurts, I don't like it? Or is it unpleasurable in that that's all you do, that doesn't do anything for me, and I'm sitting here feeling conflicted, sitting on your face feeling conflicted, because I haven't said. Is it painful and awkward and unpleasant, or is it just not working? Definitely the latter. It's not painful. It just is kind of uncomfortable. And I think because I'm expecting it, it's kind of like I'm perpetuating the problem right. um, because up. I'm expecting it not to be fun. Yeah, exactly. Okay, but but if every once in a while, like if he did 30 minutes of sucking of what you want, what works for you and your clit and your hood, he's up there at the top. And then every once in a while, just for like 10, 20 seconds, because it makes his dick super hard, he presses his face into your labia and into your vag a little bit, would that be unpleasant to the extent that it would turn you off? Or if that wasn't all that was happening, if that was just 5% of what was happening, could you go there every once in a while for his pleasure? Because that's something he enjoys, that feeling of full face yeah. press. Oh, absolutely. I could definitely do that for him. <laughs> okay. And you mean that. You're not just being a deferential, accommodating girl right now. You're not just no, saying no, that because it's what you think I want to hear. You think it's what he wants to hear. That occasional like face press into your labia, into your vag, that's something that if it was just, you know, the spice as opposed to the whole fucking dish, that's something that you could not just endure for him, but incorporated mostly with the kind of oral action you enjoy. That wouldn't be unpleasant or distracting or leave you feeling like you don't want to fuck this dude when you see him. No, no, definitely not. It's just more kind of like how long it is and how that's kind of all that there is what's getting to me. If it's, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, I would be a lot happier. Then take charge. This is what you're going to do. Okay. He is going to suck. Listen to me, dude. You're listening to me right now. You are going to suck. Oh, yeah. The, the hood. You're going to suck her clit. You're going to do exactly as she tells you to. And then call her. Every once in a while, you're going to take him by the ears and reward him with a full face vag lab press. And then you're going to pick him up by the ears and put his mouth back where you want it. 
You are going to be in charge. Sounds like a plan. Okay. Okay, awesome. And then call us back and let us know how it went. Okay, definitely. I will do that. Good luck. Hi, I'm a female in my early 20s, and I've been dating my boyfriend long distance for almost six years. He's the first man I've ever been in a serious sexual relationship with. We see each other monthly, usually. We've been totally monogamous for the entirety of our relationship, and we recently decided to enter into an open relationship because I simply found my needs just not being met on a daily basis, and it got to the point where I was so horny that I asked for his consent for me to sleep with a male friend with who I became very close with and was attracted to. This has been going on for a couple of months now, and my boyfriend only this past week started to experiment with other girls. We're hoping that being in an open relationship will help him be honest about his needs and let go of the idea that two people need to meet each other's each and every need 100% of the time. He's had a hard time letting go of this concept, but I believe that we're moving forward in the right direction. I'm struggling with my feelings, though. I've fallen in love with my second partner, and the time we spend together is so incredibly passionate. Meanwhile, my feelings for my boyfriend have changed a bit. I feel that our honeymoon phase, which seemed to have lasted forever because of the distance, has finally come to an end, and we've started that true long-term relationship thing. So I'm really confused. I'm experiencing this new, passionate relationship while also trying to maintain and protect this older, deep-seated relationship. Obviously, the love I have for my two partners is very different, but I will admit that I'm way more interested in sex with my new partner than I am with my boyfriend at the moment. So does it sound like I'm just making excuses to justify my waning interest in my older relationship and avoid breaking up? Can I truly be loving two people at once? And should I stop trying to compare apples to oranges? How much of this dwindling interest sounds like a normal side effect of a long-term relationship? Should we just end it? Should we try to rekindle that old flame? I don't know which end is up. Please help. The poly people have an expression for part of what you're feeling right now. N-R-E, the acronym new relationship energy. Your new partner is your new partner. They're shiny and new and novel and different and exciting. And everything that sex was with your boyfriend, however many years ago it was that you first met, sex is that now with your new partner. NRE, new relationship energy. It can be very intoxicating. It can also be very confusing. Some people who've never been in an open relationship before, never been in a polyamorous relationship before, will experience NRE and read it as a sign that they're not in love with their primary partner or their long-term partner anymore. They're not in the same kind of intense, passionate love. And then they will leave their primary partner for their new partner. And eventually the NRE wears off and their new partner becomes their old partner. And then they experience NRE with their next partner. So you have to be really careful about reading too much into that new relationship energy. But paradoxically, sometimes people read too little into NRE. It could be that you're transitioning out of this relationship. And not only is your new boyfriend shiny and new, your new boyfriend is there. Your old boyfriend is a long-distance relationship. Your new boyfriend is present and available to you physically, sexually, perhaps even emotionally in ways that your old boyfriend is not. And it's going to be difficult for your old boyfriend to compete for your attention and your affections under those kinds of circumstances. That said, sometimes relationships end. Poly doesn't mean or open doesn't mean that a long-term, long-time going thing can't run its course. 
Sometimes you see people in poly relationships who don't end a relationship that probably should end because they don't have to end the relationship to be in a new relationship. So you see these kind of zombie relationships staggering on long past their expiration dates because the question never has to be called. The funeral never has to be held. The body never has to be declared dead because you don't have to get out of the relationship to have a new relationship or concurrent relationship. So you have to judge your existing long-term relationship on its own merits, irrespective of your feelings for your new partner. I promise you that shiny and new breathless excitement feeling that's going to go away. That always over time goes away and hopefully something else rises in its place. A new and different kind of transformative transfixing intimacy that is itself rewarding in its own way and profound in its own way and different than the NRE that is unsustainable over the years rises to compensate. But if it doesn't rise to compensate, if that's not there in your old relationship, maybe your old relationship is a relationship that needs to end. Hard to say though. You're in the best position to judge. I'm not telling you to dump your old boyfriend. I'm telling you to look at these as two separate and distinct relationships. The new guy, totally exciting, new relationship energy, have fun. Your old boyfriend, maybe you can get it back. Maybe that thing that was rising to replace the NRE that waned over time is just about to come around the corner. And so it might be too soon to declare it dead or end it with your old boyfriend. But if that thing doesn't come along, if that degree of intimacy and connection that compensates for the waning of NRE doesn't emerge, you might need to have a conversation with your old boyfriend about whether you guys need to part now as friends rather than zombieing it out for too much longer. We're going to take a quick break from the calls to remind you as if you needed reminding that 2016 really fucking sucked. This was a terrible year and we are almost out of this year, almost done with this year. This sucky year is almost gone. Think about it. Prince Bowie, the election, so many bad things went down this year, but one of the silver linings, one of the bright spots in the year was the emergence of the parody song comedy artist Randy Rainbow, who treated us to a series of fucking hilarious songs and comedy bits and skits on YouTube where he has now millions and millions of views, mocking Republican presidential hopefuls during the primary and Donald Trump during the general election. Here's a little taste of Randy's work, something he released after one of the presidential debates. That is not in a braggadocious way. It's because braggadocious. Is that even a word? I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? He super callous, fragile, egocentric, braggadocious likes to throw big words around and hopes that we all notice. If he keeps repeating them, they might just make him POTUS. Super careless, fragile, ego, extra braggadocious. Um, are you really gonna vote for this guy? Mm, you're really gonna vote for this guy? Um, are you really gonna vote for this guy? Uh, are you really gonna vote for this guy? He says so joining me by phone, Randy Rainbow, comedian and viral internet sensation responsible for that terrific parody song send-up of the last presidential debate. His election videos have garnered close to 100 million views on YouTube, and I have such admiration for your giant talent. Randy, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. I'm such a fan of yours, too, so I'm happy to talk to you. They really voted for the guy, Randy. 
I can't fucking deal with this. I can't either. Th- I, thank you for saying that because you've generated some more videos and, and more comedy and parody videos in the wake of this asshole's election. And your sense of humor seems to be intact and mine is not. Please help me. <laughs> Listen, I, you know, behind the scenes, I'm, I'm breaking as well. My only thing getting me through is that, you know, while this is terrible for our country, it's fabulous for my career. <laughs> so let's think about that. I don't know why more people aren't talking about that. You're fir- you first came to my attention with your series GOP Dropout, which was a parody of Beauty School Dropout from Greece, where each time one of the right. 4,000 Republicans in the GOP primary dropped out, <laughs> you did a GOP Dropout number. We're going to play a little clip of one of them right now. GOP Dropout. Looks like you're not the nominee. GOP dropout. You ate your boogers on TV. Well, you fought for all those delegates, but looks like Donald got them. So I guess if Donald Trump's the top, then that makes you the bottom. I always figured GOP dropout. GOP dropout. Maybe I'll miss your double speak. GOP dropout. GOP dropout. Your Christian values were on fleek, but you messed with the New Yorkers, so I guess you're out of luck. As the New Yorkers say, you, you f***ing go Mets or whatever. Randy, I was so looking forward to the final GOP dropout coming when Donald Trump lost the election. Did you have that one in the can? Had you written that one? I didn't, because technically he, he wouldn't have been a dropout. He would have lost. So I didn't know that it really, I don't know. I mean, do you think that, I guess like I could have done one, but I, I didn't. You could have done no. GOP washout. I could have done that. Yeah. No, I didn't have that. As you may have seen, I actually was, had so much faith in Hillary that I made her a video celebrating her victory like two weeks before the election. So it was your fault. You jinxed it. I, I did. I did a Kinahara on Hillary Clinton. So, and now we're all fucked. So who are you and, and how did you get to be so fucking funny? And how do you make these brilliant videos? I, I'm just so in such admiration of your talent, but I don't really know anything about your background. Where the fuck did you come from? You just sort of burst out this year with these GOP dropout videos and these amazing parodies. Overnight, sensa- overnight sensation after six years is how it usually <laughs> happens. Right. But uh, I've, I've been around. I, you know, I, I have a, my background is musical theater. Surprise, surprise. And I, I kind of was writing a little bit in New York and, and just kind of floating around and making a name for myself a little bit. And I started with these videos probably, when did um, Mel Gibson's uh, tapes leak? Was that like six years ago with his voicemails? Oh, longer than that, I think. To his ex-wife. It was like six or seven years ago. Mm-hmm. I started doing this format where I would like, pl- I, I, my first viral video was Randy Rainbow is dating Mel Gibson. And I did a, a series of videos of me like walking around my apartment, having romantic conversations with Mel Gibson's horrible, racist, homophobic, uh, you know, rants to his wife, mm-hmm. anti-Semitic, all, all the good stuff. Um, so that was kind of like my first taste of viral success. And then I uh, kind of had this slow and steady kind of rise. I've been doing a a uh, couple web series on broadwayworld.com and stuff like that. So I've been around mm-hmm. doing this. And then the, with the election, uh, it just kind of took it to a new level. It's amazing stuff, and it's so good. And, and people need to find your YouTube channel and watch all of your videos. If you missed GOP Dropout, go find them. 
Uh, they are terrific. And you've been doing now parodies that are really helping us process and work through and maintain our sense of humor as the Trump administration hurdles toward us. I'm so glad. When I started doing them, it was all just sort of fun. And I, I come at it from a comedic standpoint. And I, it's a really nice surprise to hear, although I, it's not surprising that comedy helps people, but the amount of email and stuff that I get from people saying just how much they're they're being helped by these and how much it's sort of, you know, calming their nerves in such chaotic times. That's a really nice thing. So I feel like I have more of a purpose than just being campy and silly. But you do camp and you do silly better than just about anybody else online right now. And where can oh, people see you. you perform live? Because you do your shows live too in New York. I do. And I'm working on something that I can tour all around the country and world. So that, you know, check my website for upcoming tour dates and stuff. But I'll be in New York uh, at Birdland. I'm playing Birdland for the second time on January 3rd. People, go see Randy Rainbow live. I, I, I haven't seen you live yet myself, but I imagine it is... 10,000 times to. as much fun. I want to, but I live in Seattle. Come to I'm Seattle amazing. so I can see you live. I would love to. I will definitely be there. And I'm staying with you. Before we, Yes, we have a guest room. You're welcome to it. Before we let you go, we just like sometimes to throw a Savage Love Sex Advice question at people when we have them on the phone. Because sex advice, any idiot can give it. Because I do. And if I can, you can. No, I haven't had sex in like four months. Is that going to hinder this process at all? No, that, that's not disqualifying. Okay, cool. The Pope gives sex advice. When's the last time that bitch got laid? Exactly. Well, I don't know. Hi, Dan. I'm a 22-year-old black bisexual woman, and I'm having a steamy love affair with a white man who's 30 years older than me. The sex is great, and I couldn't ask for more in a partner. There's just one problem. I love it when my lover slams me from behind, but my enjoyment is often tempered because I feel like I might fart, which makes me try to hold it in, which only makes it worse. Doggy style is my second favorite position, and I don't want to give it up. He says he doesn't mind, but it makes me feel like I'm not the true sexual fairy that I am. Help, Dan. What can I do? Do I need a butt plug? I'll do anything except fart. So, Randy, your advice for her? This is all on me. Yep. This is a lot. Yeah, I handle well, I handle every other call on today's show. This one is all you. Thank you so much for giving me the, the fart woman. Um, <laughs> I really have no words of wisdom because this is my whole fear of life is farting in front of a significant other. That's why I've been single for like 10 years. I don't know. A butt plug? Dan, is that like what? How would you even incorporate a butt plug to during that? Well, a time like that. The, the problem with incorporating a butt plug is you, you'd have to incorporate a large one because you can literally shoot uh, a narrow butt plug out of your ass and across the room. So, who are you telling? I know that. <laughs> well, I'm telling the caller that I guess you and I both know that that a butt plug can go flying out of an ass. So it's not like a cork, and it's not oh, you know okay, it's yeah. not going to protect you necessarily unless it's wide enough that the largest buildup of gas could not displace it. So, caller, if you can endure a giant butt plug, maybe right. that would work. Or you could just disinhibit a little bit and go ahead and fart on him if you have to. If... That never that never ends well, Dan. He's not going to put up with that. And if he says he's going to, he's lying. And don't expect a call the next day. That's what I say. I'm sorry. And diet, diet, diet. I mean, diet. Diet is a big factor in this, don't you think? Maybe. Have you ever heard of the pregnancy anti-gas position? No. Yes, I'm in it right now. 
Now, what is it? <laughs> well, it's something they advise pregnant women to do who are experiencing uncomfortable gas. And it's to get on your knees, but put your elbows on the floor and sort of rest your head on the floor with your butt up in the air and then fart away. And perhaps the caller could assume the pregnancy anti-gas position alone in a room for a little while before the sex so that she can fart it all out and feel confident that there's nothing left to fart out. That's great advice. I'm going to do that after I hang up with you in fact. <laughs> Farts happen though. Randy, I want, I, you know, I'm here for, I'm in a long-term committed relationship. My husband farts in front of me. I fart in front of him. You have to get there if you want to be in an LTR. I guess you do, but I'm very, I, I can't, I'm, I just, I can't get there. It's going to take me a while to get there. Terry helped me get there. But, He's a farter. I'm not. I hadn't farted in front of another human being ever until Terry came. I out. love it. It's one of my favorite things to do, but it's like, you know, how am I, I have to find a partner who's, who's, who's willing to you know, put up with my hobbies. And one of them is farting. I love doing it. I'm glad we can end on farting. Thank you. And come see me at Birdland. I will come see you at Birdland if I can get to New York at the beginning of the year. Anybody out there listening, get to New York at the beginning of the year. Go see Randy Rainbow at Birdland in New York City on January 3rd. And go to your website, which is? RandyRainbow.com or Randy Rainbow Official on Facebook. And find out about upcoming shows and watch his videos and make him rich. You're going to be one of the YouTube mega rich, right? Uh, uh, let's hope I'm on my way. Yes. Yes. Yes, you will be. Randy Rainbow, he is a fucking genius. Thank you so much for joining us today. Dan, thank you so much. Hey, Dan. I'm a 26-year-old gay man living out on the East Coast, and I've been single for the past two years or so. Um, I've only had one serious relationship in the past, and I've spent a lot of time since that relationship ended trying to embrace being single and not worrying so much about whether or not I have a boyfriend or not. Um, But that's really hard. I've had a really hard time trying to not feel like my life is somehow lacking without a partner. And this is also coupled with my struggle with depression and anxiety. Luckily, for the past nine months, I've been in therapy and I've recently started medication to try to address some of those issues that depression and anxiety cause. And I'm really grateful for the progress that I've made in that regard. But it's really hard for me not to feel like still somehow my life would be way better if I had a boyfriend and eventually a husband. Um, So I think I have a bit of a two-part question for you. First, how do I not romanticize the idea of having a relationship? Um, I think oftentimes I'm looking for a sort of Superman or person to save me from my singlehood. And, And I know that that's not a healthy way to approach it, but I can't seem to get that idea of the perfect person or a guy out of my head. Um, So any tips on that would be great. And second, I am curious, how do I just embrace my single life more fully? How do I take advantage of all the opportunities that being single affords me instead of looking at it as something that I don't have or something that I'm lacking? So you're asking me how to avoid romanticizing romance? Kind of a problem, kind of a conundrum. You're only 26 years old. You are in the process right now of getting your shit together. Congratulations and good for you. And you're doing the work. You're getting yourself into good working order so that when you meet somebody, they will regard you as someone in good working order who might be a good and decent partner for the long term. But don't rush it and enjoy what you've got now. And what you have right now is your independence, your autonomy, your freedom. Get out there, do shit, go places, volunteer, 
pursue career opportunities, travel, be out there moving through the world, not to find a partner, not to land a husband, but to have the fullest and most fully realized life that you can have that's full of friends and art and music and dance and theater and whatever else floats your boat, your interests. Get out there. Do it. And maybe along the way, you will bump into some guy or guys who share your interests, who would like to be on that journey with you out there in the world. But if you don't meet that guy, and some people never wind up partnered, some people wind up single for years or decades or forever, even if you never meet anybody, you will be enjoying life. And even if you do meet somebody and you get married and you have a husband, Husbands can be taken from us. Husbands can drop dead. Husbands can leave us. Relationships can go south. We can decide that we want to leave them. There are no guarantees. Once you land this husband, it's not like your life is permanently awesome and solved and fixed. Once you meet that husband, then you got a husband for as long as you have that husband. And if your whole life was just built around landing that dude, then if that dude disappears on you, what do you got? You got nothing because your whole life was built around landing the dude. So if the dude goes, what do you got? Nothing. You've got to make sure that you have a full, active, interesting, self-actualized life, dude or no dude. And you'll be a much more attractive person if you do have a full, interesting life, more attractive to those dudes. Nobody wants to have that pressure of feeling like they are someone's everything because that makes staying feel like something they have to do rather than something they get to choose to do. How do you embrace single life more fully? You fucking embrace single life fully. Get out there and live your fucking single life. Have fun. See if you don't meet somebody while you're out there living and embracing your single life who would like to partner with you and live that life with you. And you remind yourself right now at every step that you are just 26 fucking years old. There is no goddamn hurry. The average age of first marriage for straight people is late 20s, early 30s. And it's a little higher, I think, on average for queer people. So take a deep fucking breath. Be 26. Take your antidepressants. Go see your shrink. And then get out there and live and have fun. And stop flipping through Groom Magazine or whatever the fuck you're flipping through. Because you know what's not attractive? Seeing someone flip through Groom Magazine. Because what that says to the guys you may encounter is not that you're someone they might want to marry, but that you're just someone who wants to marry. And it's not about them. It's about that. It's about it. It's about the institution. It's about getting a blank, getting a husband, not getting that person or not being with that person. People want to be with somebody who wants to be with them. People don't want to be with somebody who wants to be married to anyone. So put the groom magazine away. Get a bike, go to the gym, go to the clubs, go have fun, go be 26. Stop thinking about your wedding day. Hi, Dan. This is a 25-year-old female calling from the Rust Belt. The reason that I'm calling is because I have a question about um, disclosing to friends when they may be dating somebody who has been problematic with you in the past. So a little bit of backstory, um, in the beginning of 2015, I started having a friends with benefits arrangement with somebody who I've known for about 10 years. Um, we know each other since we were teenagers. He went to a different college than I did. Um, he's also several years older than me. 
Um, but anyways, he moved back to my city um, earlier, well, towards the end of last year. So earlier this year, whenever we began this arrangement, um, we were having sex pretty regularly and everything was going really well at first. Um, we were having um, a lot of fun and we were uh, engaging in things that were a little bit new to me, um, some BDSM type of behaviors. But he crossed a boundary um, a few months in and he actually um, is into a lot more sexually extreme things than I am. And he got a nosebleed um, while we were having sex and he was on top of me um, and it was dark so I didn't notice at first. And um, I saw him look down at his hands and he saw the blood and he put his hand into my mouth before I had the chance to realize what it was um, and wiped it in my mouth. And I had uh, I had a reaction like, what was that? And he was like, oh, my nose is bleeding. And so I immediately pushed him off of me. I gagged um, and I was very upset. Long story short, he um, his response was really problematic. He got very um, disengaged and um, kind of went out of my house in a little bit of a huff and then texted me afterwards and was like, I really wish you would have talked to me about this and had this just really shitty response. And I called him out for not engaging um, any type of conversation about consent when it had to do with him putting his hand in my mouth when it was covered in blood without me knowing. So um, I laid into him. I told him that he was completely wrong, that he um, should have engaged my consent had he asked um, that he would know that that's not something that I'm interested in doing. And in fact, that was traumatizing to me. So um, I ceased my friendship with him. Um, his reaction later on was very apologetic. However, in the moment, he um, said a lot of problematic things. Fast forward to now, he is has begun seeing one of my friends. Um, I do see him out around occasionally, but um, she's a pretty good friend of mine who I maybe about once or twice a month we do hang out by ourselves occasionally um, and I just wonder if it's my duty to tell her what happened between us I know what your advice typically is for um, other things in this regard as far as like if you find out somebody's cheating should you tell not tell but this is something I feel um, a little bit conflicted about so I just wanted to know if you had any guidance thanks Dan yeah, if you see somebody's husband on Tinder, my advice in the past has been to keep your fucking mouth shut because you don't know what's going on in their marriage. You don't know whether they have an open relationship or not. You don't know if they're in a particularly difficult time right now and maybe they're both cheating on each other or maybe he's cheating because he has grounds and cause or she's cheating because she has grounds and cause. And the affair that they might have right now may not destroy the relationship and they may patch it up and be together forever if you keep your fucking mouth shut. If they know that they were being cheated on, they might not patch it up and be together forever. So yeah, err on the side, keeping your mouth shut. When it comes to the example that you cite, you know that you're somebody's husband is having an affair or somebody's wife is having an affair. Do you say something? Generally, no. This is not that case. This is a dude into BDSM who pulled a really non-consensual, fucked up, fluid exchangey move on you in the dark and then was a dick about it when you had the temerity to confront him about the lack of consent for this kind of act. It is important in BDSM land for the subs of the world and the doms of the world to communicate with each other, for there to be accountability around people's performance 
when it comes to this kind of play, there is a kind of undertow that subs experience where they don't want to queer that moment. They don't want to ruin it by objecting to what the Dom wanted to do because isn't that what it's supposed to be about? The Dom is like doing their thing and you're submitting to the Dom's will. And of course, that's not what's going on. Everything is negotiated. Everything is consented to in advance. And this dude proved himself in that moment to be a really shitty, selfish Dom. And your friend who's thinking about getting involved with him, she needs to know that. She is getting involved with someone who in the past at least didn't respect your consent and didn't have the sense to anticipate that this move that he was about to pull was not something he could just do. It was something that needed to be discussed in advance. So you should definitely say something because this kind of accountability is what makes BDSM and the kink scene safer for people who are engaging in this kind of varsity level sex play. Hey, Dan at all. Uh, we are three couples from Utah, a bunch of white people, and uh, we just have a quick question for you. Yeah, so we just watched this video about grapefruiting your man on YouTube, and we're wondering if it's a real thing. I mean, it seems like it would be something that would burn, or but honestly, at the same time, the flesh of a grapefruit would probably feel pretty good. So please tell us if this is a real thing or if it's just a complete sex myth. Grapefruiting, is it a real thing? Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, Gabrielle Moss. She's an editor at Bustle.com and the author of the new and terrific humor book, Glop, Non-Toxic, Expensive Ideas That Will Make You Look Ridiculous and Feel Pretentious. Also the author of an essay that appeared at Bustle, Does the Grapefruit Blowjob Technique Work? I Tried It and the Verdict Is... Hey, Gabrielle, how are you? I am good. Before we get to the verdict and your really terrific mm-hmm. priest about grapefruiting, define grapefruiting for people out there who don't know what the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> uh, grapefruiting your man would entail getting a grapefruit, uh, cutting off the the top and bottom so it's just kind of a, a cylinder um, and poking a hole in the middle, then uh, plopping that grapefruit down around his erect penis and kind of using it to give him a hand job while you uh, while you give him a blow job at the top. Okay, before I stumbled over your really fucking funny essay about grapefruit, <laughs> I saw the viral video that everyone's talking about. Yeah. And I thought, this is bullshit. No one's ever actually done this. This is just somebody <laughs> desperate to like float something out there on the internet that no one has heard of yet and give it a fun name and gain some followers as uh, the person who floated this did. It's a viral video. Millions of people have viewed it, but I didn't, I didn't think anyone had ever actually done it. And in a way you aren't proof that grapefruiting is a thing because you weren't doing it. And then you heard about this video. It wasn't a coincidence. You saw the video and decided to give it a try. So there's no documented evidence of anybody organically in the world doing this on their own. I mean, as, as far as I know, I may have been among the first to uh, to document having done it to an actual penis. And you st- um, yeah. and you might be the only because your essay is, of course, as I looked around <laughs> that line, the only evidence I found that anyone anywhere had ever actually grapefruited their man. So tell us about the experience. First of all, you went to your man and said, "There's this viral video about this sex act that I'm not sure is a real thing. May I do it to your dick?" How did that go over? Uh, it went over surprisingly well. Uh, I was I was very anxious that it was perhaps uh, going to usher about a premature end to our relationship, but he was very cool with it. Uh, he was game. He was like, you know, if it's 
stings my urethra, I will tell you and we'll stop immediately. So he, he's a great guy. Because that did seem like it would be a real concern. You know, if there's any nick or cut, if he was a pubic hair shaving type of guy and you're going to get grapefruit juice all over his crotch or down in his urethra as the grapefruit bounces up and down on his dick, that could burn. That that might hurt. Yeah, it seemed like there was a pain risk, and though uh, it didn't end up um, hurting him in the moment, he said afterwards he felt a little burning in his urethra when he peed right out, uh, after the grapefruiting. But uh, I was a little, I was uh, too concerned about the potential of the grapefruit to burn uh, my my vulva area, so I didn't have sex, uh, didn't have intercourse with him afterwards. Uh, but so how did it work? The, the de- technique. So basically, it's like imagine sliding a grapefruit down someone's dick or a donut down someone's dick because you kind of turn the grapefruit into yeah. an ersatz citrus donut and then the yeah. top of the dick's in your mouth the middle of the dick is in this sort of grapefruit masturbatory aid logistically yeah. was it a pleasant blowjob to give he liked it according to your essay he liked the sensation as the yeah. callers indicate the like flesh of the grapefruit felt kind of good on his dick but for you, yeah. grapefruit flesh coming loose from the grapefruit, grapefruit juice going everywhere, you bobbing up and down <laughs> on his dick. How was the experience for you, the grapefruiter? The experience was more pleasant than I had. Uh, I had been very nervous I was going to get some grapefruit juice in my eye, and that didn't happen. Um, and uh, it actually it made his dick taste really nice. Like, I don't have a problem with the normal taste of dick, but uh, I thought it kind of you know, jabbed it up in a way that was kind of fun for me. I, you know, I got juice all over my face and neck and chest, but like not anywhere, you know, too weird or uncomfortable. I, I found the entire experience, you know, kind of fun, kind of pleasant. So you would recommend it? I would recommend it to try like once, or I mean, I guess, I guess if you guys both really love it, try it all the time. This is the most revealing question though. This is really, this gets to the the meat of it, the grapefruit flesh of it. Have you ever done it again? I have never done it again because there was so much cleanup involved. I didn't think it was worth it beyond the novelty. Uh, you, you do definitely have to put a towel down beforehand if you want to try this. Like That juice will be going everywhere. And uh, my boyfriend got a grapefruit pulp mashed into his pubic hair uh, very, very deeply. And he had to take two showers to get it out. So I would, I would file this in the not a thing column that you're the one person in the world that I know who's actually tried this and you enjoyed it and you got some vitamin C and it wasn't unpleasant and you liked the taste of dick and grapefruit together and your boyfriend found the sensation pleasurable and it was an awesome blowjob with only a tiny uh, opportunity cost and that slight burning sensation in his urethra, but it wasn't. But it wasn't something you ever, ever did again. And this, you wrote this piece like I think three years ago. Yeah. And in the intervening time, you have never once been tempted to haul out a grapefruit and try it again. You know, it was fun, but there are, I think, other things that are less of a mess that are just as fun, and I just defaulted to those. So, Gabrielle, since we got you on the phone and since you have a brand new book out, tell us about the book. Uh, my book is called Glop, uh, non-toxic, expensive ideas that will make you look ridiculous and feel pretentious. And uh, it's a parody of kind of high-end wellness culture, like, you know, $900 yoga pants, juice cleanses. Um, it does not introduce any new fruits that you might want to try sticking your dick into, but I still think it's pretty fun. Gabrielle Moss, she's an editor at Bustle.com, where you can read her work and you can also get her new book, Glop, Pick It Up. Thank you, Gabrielle, for taking one for the team. 
for trying it, for, <laughs> Thank you, for having grapefruited. You are the original grapefruiter. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Hi, Dan. I'm a 28-year-old straight female. Um, my boyfriend is 38-year-old, and we've been in a relationship now for, um, I think, five or six years now. And my question I feel very guilty about is that, um, well, we used to have a lot of issues with insecurity when we first started dating, but we, you know, went to therapy and got past that, and it's wonderful, and it's really nice not to have that hanging over our shoulders. But see, the problem is since he's become you know, secure in his own body, he's put on a lot of weight, like a lot of weight. And he kind of uses food as comfort food. And I don't really know what that's like. I work out, I eat healthy. That's important to me to look good. But it's more important to him to have those sweets, you know, have that fast food. And he asks me if it bothers me. And I, I, um, I say that as long as he's happy and he's healthy, that's all I care about, which is all I want to care about because I don't want to make him feel like he has to eat healthy and work out or he's going to lose me. I don't want to bring that insecurity back, and I want to get over it. I don't want to care that he's heavy, but it does bother me. And when I see him laying around and he's going on his second or third donut, or he's eating half a pizza, it bothers me, it annoys me so much. And I don't know how to bring that up to him without sounding like a complete asshole. Maybe I am an asshole. Maybe I shouldn't care about him aesthetically because I love the man he is on the inside. I just wish I did not care about his weight, but I do. And I don't know what to do about it. I'm torn. On the one hand, you say that your boyfriend, who's in his late 30s, uh, had insecurity issues and you two got therapy together and worked through that. And now that he's become secure in his own body, he's putting on weight. So maybe in the past, he starved himself and the big guy that he's becoming is the big guy that he is and has always wanted to be and now feels free to be and confident enough to be. And this is who he is. Take him or leave him. Or, on the other hand, maybe your boyfriend is depressed. Maybe the sudden weight gain and sudden weight gain can be a sign of depression. Maybe this is a cry for help. He keeps asking you if you have a problem with this and you keep telling him that you do not. Part of me wonders if he's not externalizing a control for himself. He feels perhaps out of control, unable to control his eating, unable to get himself out there and get exercising, which is not necessarily about having Instagrammable abs. It's just about being healthy and having good circulation and being able to get an erection and all the good things that regular exercise provides to us besides Adonis bodies, which it doesn't provide to all of us no matter how much we exercise, period, the end. But it seems to me that his questions that he's been putting in front of you that you've been too inhibited to answer honestly may be a cry for help. When he says to you, is this okay that I'm getting so big? Maybe the answer you wanted to hear was, no, it's not okay for me. I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned about the sudden weight game. I'm concerned that your insecurity in the past was tied to body issues and you're suddenly eating differently and eating in a way that is causing rapid weight gain. Uh, maybe we need to go back to the therapist. Maybe you're depressed. What can we do? And I think you should be honest with him. You say you don't want him to feel like 
he has to work out or eat healthy to keep you. But it's clear from your question that he's going to lose you in the end if he doesn't write his diet, if he doesn't make some lifestyle changes because being fit and being healthy is important to you personally and it also is important to you sexually, that it's part of what attracts you to someone and he should want you to be attracted to him. Now, just a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, we got a call from a woman who said she was fit, said she was healthy and her boyfriend was insane and controlling about her diet, grabbing chocolate out of her hands when she was eating some dark chocolate in bed because she was having cramps and she was having a little nibble of dark chocolate and he grabbed it from her hands and threw it across the room. That's crazy controlling, food shaming, nut shit. And I told her to dump that motherfucker already. You're in a long-term relationship with this guy. One of the things we do for our partners in long-term relationships is not keep tabs on every morsel of food that they put in their mouths, but encourage them to take care of themselves for themselves, but also for us. And I think he needs you to step in. I think he needs you to encourage him to take care of himself. That doesn't mean he can never have fast food ever again. Doesn't mean he can never sit down and eat a half a pizza. I sat down and ate a half a pizza just the other night. But if I eat half a pizza every day, my husband's going to say something to me about maybe tonight we should have a fucking salad because there's only so much pizza a person can eat without damaging their health. Terry says that shit to me. I say that shit to him. That's one of the things we do for each other. We look out for each other. He encourages me to go see the goddamn eye doctor. That's one of the things you do for each other in a long-term relationship. It's not about shaming. It's about caretaking. And if he's gaining weight rapidly and it's not healthy and he's not happy and he's worried that you're not happy and indeed you are not happy, I think you need to have an honest conversation with him about that. I think you need to go back and see that therapist you were seeing before about insecurity and body issues that you had some success in therapy with that person. You need to tune up. Both of you need to tune up and you need to have a difficult conversation with your boyfriend. And I think having someone there to mediate that conversation would be a good idea. Hey, Dan. Uh, I am a married lady. I normally live in the Pacific Northwest, but for the month of December, I am in the South for business, which means I am away from my darling husband. Well, last night we were having our normal video chat and I decided uh, I'll try to get a little frisky. I've been gone about a week. Uh, uh, Yeah. So he did not respond to this and was like, oh, I'm super awkward. I'm just going to sit here. And I uh, am also pregnant. And so I am a hormonal crazy person. And my response to this was immediately to start crying. Um, Probably not the best reaction. But he was like really embarrassed at the idea of my expecting him to, you know, jerk off with me essentially, because I have no other outlet and neither does he seem like the natural thing to do. Uh, And he seems to be treating it like I asked him to poop on his chest. Uh, I don't I don't really feel like this is some sort of varsity level kink. So how, how do I broach this? How do I talk to him? What do I say? What do I do? We have a really good sex life when we're in the same room. Everything's great. We communicate. I just don't quite know how to have this conversation from fucking 3,000 miles away. I don't think you need my help at all. You said it all pretty well. You were, 
you busted a move, uh, a move he didn't expect and one he didn't react to positively. And being pregnant and hormonal, you got upset and you need to walk that all back and have a conversation about what went down. I don't know why your husband reacted the way he did. Maybe he's not comfortable sitting in front of his computer masturbating. It seems obvious that he's not comfortable sitting in front of his computer masturbating. Maybe he had a shitty day. Maybe he wasn't in the mood. Maybe he had just masturbated before he got on the phone with you and was too embarrassed to say that. And he knew that he whipped his dick out. It wasn't going to get hard and he didn't want to upset you because it wasn't getting hard for you watching you masturbate. I don't know what was going on with him. Only he knows. He has a reason. You need to talk to him. Seems to me that, you know, masturbating together via Skype is a great way for people who are temporarily long distance to stay connected, to keep having sexual adventures together and experiencing sexual joy and pleasure together. But the mistake that you made, if I may, was moving on it, going for it, rather than saying, is this something that you would like to do? And then having a conversation about whether he wanted to do this, he just started to do it. And then he had the reaction that he had for the reason that he had it. And again, we don't know what that reason is. And you need to talk to him to figure out what that reason was. He had the reaction that he did. And then you had the reaction you did. So is this something he wants to do or could do at another time? Possibly. Is this something that he doesn't think he could ever really enjoy, but he'd be happy to watch you masturbate and maybe say some dirty things? and engage with you that way? Or maybe he doesn't want to do it on video because he doesn't, like Mark Zuckerberg, trust the security of online streaming video via Skype. Maybe he doesn't want the Russians leaking it to Julian Assange one day. You need to have a conversation with your husband. I agree this isn't a varsity level kink. I would also throw out there that this isn't or shouldn't be a relationship extinction level event. Hi, I'm from... Uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, right smack dab in the middle of the Bible Belt. I am a, a semi-straight male. Uh, I've had my experiences sexually. I'm I'm very, very, very open sexually. And uh, recently I met a woman on Tinder, and she turned out to be a married lesbian in an, in a polyamorous relationship is how she put it. And she actually turned me on to the Savage Love cast too, which uh, opened my eyes to a lot of things. I thought that, that I was, uh, you know, sexually open, you know, and and she she's turned my eyes on to a lot of things. The problem with this this thing is that she is she's 5 feet tall. She's like a little little pixie, you know, like uh with her little dyke haircut and you know i mean she is just cuter than shit and she's she's my age i'm 42 she's 40 and her her wife is is much younger than she is and uh the talks we had are have are amazing and the problem that, that i've had is that I'm starting to have feelings for this person. So now I'm I'm trying to kind of stay away from her for a little bit and um you know date some more people and, and see see how that goes. But uh you know it's it's tough living here in redneck country to find a woman like that 
a woman that has that is just as freaky or you know my freak equivalent so i'm calling you because i i have to ask you 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 tell us you're there in the bible belt in the middle of arkansas so i just i'm just so tempted and, and i have to ask who'd you vote for I voted for Hillary Clinton. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't want to accidentally give good sex advice to somebody who voted for Trump and then slept with a lesbian. It would just seem so wrong. Please don't. And and, and she said the same thing when, when we met, because we met on, on Tinder. Mm-hmm. And uh, she asked me the same question. You didn't vote for, you're not going to vote for Trump, are you? And I said, no, hell no. Good. So, yeah, Thank I, you. I was, I was, I was supporting Sanders at first, you know, but, but then, uh, and then I, I, I went to Hillary. So, yeah. Important for those of us on the coast to remember that not everyone in the Bible Belt or the Rust Belt states voted for Trump. Millions of people in those states voted for sanity. Unfortunately, sanity did not prevail. All right, let's talk about your question. So, okay, the issue is that she has a wife and. You're falling for her. That's it. Yeah. 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 Does her wife know that she's having sex with men on the side? Are you allowed? She dropped, she dropped her off at my house one night (laughs) and, and they, they'd been drinking margaritas and her wife said, come here. And I go, what? Cause she said, come here. And, and, uh, and I got closer in and she goes, come in the car. So I'm, I'm kind of kneeling on the passenger seat. And she just kind of, kind of feels my package and goes, "All right, go ahead." Okay, so so the question is, and I think it's a question you have to put to this couple or to this the woman that you're catching feelings for and seeing regularly. Just say to her, "Am I allowed to have feelings for you? Because I'm I'm catching feelings for you." And is that right? Obviously, obviously, you are permitted, Dick, in the by by your wife, and that's not violating your commitment in any way. Are you permitted to have a boyfriend? Are you permitted to have a relationship and a connection, romantic connection with someone else because I volunteer. Right. Okay. And just toss okay. the ball, toss the balls, both of them and the dick too, into her court and see what she says. It may be that, you know, considering where you guys all live, they would rather have a regular dude in their lives that they know and trust and like and have an ongoing connection and relationship with than have to keep looking around on Tinder for new dick all the time. That's that kind of occurred to me too. Yeah, if it turns out that emotions aren't aren't, aren't required, you know, I I can I can quell quell myself a bit. You know, mm-hmm. I'm 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 newly uh, uh, single. I, I was married for ten years, and my wife asked me for a divorce, and it took me a few months to get my mojo back. But you know, I really did. And uh, and you're enjoying being out there. Oh my, yeah. This this <laughs> this this woman though is is so open and honest and just fun and smart and you know just just almost everything I'm looking for in a woman except she's married. So there, there you have it. You know what? You can sometimes change that except she's married to and she's married. That you're you're everything oh, yeah, I'm looking yeah. for in a woman and the fact that you're married that doesn't bother me if it doesn't bother you and it doesn't bother your wife. But if their relationship allows for a boyfriend too, if they're polyamorous, yeah, there's no reason well, to, to withdraw. That's, that's how she, she described her, her relationship as polyamorous. So, Dude, dude, you're in. You're allowed to yeah. have feelings then. Polyamorous, many loves. You're allowed to, to, to 
to crush on her and you're she's already brought she's already telegraphed to you that the way you're feeling is something that she might invite and, and might welcome so just tell her just tell her be honest with her say i like you and i'd like to like you outside of the sack too and hang out and and, and feel close and be a part of your life in a connected way well, without it being a th- i'm not i don't want to possess you i don't want to marry you i don't want to take you from your your wife but if i can be with you too. That's all you got to say to her, and I think she'll. I think she will welcome it if she feels the same way about you. I think she will welcome it. That's what she was telling you when she told you she was Polly, as opposed to telling you that she was cheating, or telling you that this had to be a one-off, or telling you that her wife is okay with her fucking men on the side every once in a while, as long as she doesn't fuck the same guy more than a couple of times. She said, poly- right, she, right. she said polyamorous. You are in. Yeah. She- you, she said polyamorous. You said I voted for Hillary Clinton. She said I'm polyamorous. You guys are in, <laughs> both of you. Oh, she she also turned me on to your show, too. So, <laughs> Well, tell her I said thank you. So we all had something to say to each other. Yeah, no problem. It, it, it's great talking to you, man. Good talking to you, too. Thank you for the call. Hi, Dan. I have a question about sex talks with kids. My eight-year-old came to me yesterday and I did such a great job because of you. He asked me what a dildo is and what dildo means. And I gave him a download, just like you told me. Um, It went into a question about what is vibration and that the kids in his school said that vibration is when the penis goes into the vagina. And I said, no. And then I continued to tell him how the dildo would provide the vibration. And I told him that it was pleasurable. So I did everything right. He didn't have any other questions. He went to bed. Great. Um, Then I told my husband about it and he said, well, what if he asks you if you have a dildo? Um, I do. And I don't really want him to know that because as you have said, there are things that both of us have a right not to know about each other. And I don't want him to feel like there's anything wrong with a woman having a dildo, but I just don't want to, I don't feel like I need to answer that question. So I felt so prepared until my husband said he might ask me about my personal dildo having behavior. So what do we say about that? Because my husband said he asked his mother, he remembers asking his mother if she had tried anal sex when he was a child and, and she answered him. Um, and it was, Yes. So now I can't get that out of my head and I, I don't know what to say. So what do you say, honestly, to redirect from the personal sex-related questions when it comes to your children? So just to be clear, your kid did not ask you if you had a dildo. Your kid doesn't seem curious yet about whether his mom owns a dildo. Your husband, however, seems curious about whether your kid is going to get curious about whether mom owns a dildo. So there's really no problem here yet. This is a hypothetical. What do you say to your kid if he should ask and he has not asked? So you did well, mom. You handled this really well. But what do you do if your kid asks if you have a dildo? I think you say to your kid that mommy has a right to a private life, just like you have a right to some privacy. Mommy has a right to some privacy. And those are not the kinds of questions that people ask each other. You don't ask people what kind of sex they enjoy or what kind of sex toys they might own or possess. Those are questions you ask lovers, maybe. Those are questions that people ask each other if they're dating 
or if they're romantically involved. But it's not questions that children ask their parents. It's not questions that we ask other people on the street or a bus. It's not questions you ask your coworkers or colleagues or other relatives. So I'm not going to answer that question. And if anyone ever asks you that question when you're older and you don't feel comfortable answering that question, you don't have to answer that question either. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to the woman who was dating the super controlling dude a couple episodes ago and also in response to the people who responded to her because I think they were a little harder on her than they intended to be, um, telling her to be smarter and to dump his ass. And while I, I do agree she should leave him, um, I really hope – Sweetie, that you don't walk away thinking that you're a piece of shit because you're dating a piece of shit. Oxytocin is a blinding bitch, and sometimes we fall for the wrong people. So Godspeed and go find love, sweetheart. Hi, Dan. Um, I heard your live show this week, and I am the previous caller who's into dressing up dicks. Um, I have to disagree with you about it not being a kink. Um, It's not that I find it visually sexy to see a penis in a hat, but um, I do have to say that cock dress up is, um, it's super sexy for a bunch of reasons. So first of all, I'm, I'm totally in charge of someone's dick in a completely unconventional way, um, which is most likely quite uncomfortable and new for them. And that's a really fascinating kind of power. Um, second, there's often the sort of humiliation aspect, especially in the sense that, um, people have all kinds of feelings surrounding how they're reacting to it. Like if they're hard or soft or because I'm objectifying or feminizing them in some way. Um, And the third, I would say, I guess it it usually draws a big crowd at a party and I'm a huge exhibitionist and I get to show off this art and this power and it's really fun. And you'd be really surprised at how very, very many people are into it once you mention that you're into it. And so I would encourage everybody to try it because it's awesome. Go dress up dicks. I take it back. I see now how cock dress up could be a kink. Most kinks are obviously about power and control. And I didn't see it at first, how this could be about power control. So thank you for calling back cock dress up fetishist and explaining how your kink works. And now I am on your side and I see your kink for the legit kink that it is. All right, we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. Pump, my amateur porn film festival, the 2017 edition is coming to San Francisco in a couple of weeks, January 11th to 14th, then Columbus, Pittsburgh, Eugene, Los Angeles, Albuquerque, Madison, Chicago, and more cities to find out when Pump is coming to you. Go to humpfilmfest.com for information and to get tickets. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanceSavage. Follow the amazing and talented and hilarious Randy Rainbow on Twitter at Randy Rainbow. And follow Gabrielle Moss on Twitter at Gabby underscore Moss. And be sure to read Savage Love, my weekly sex advice column in the East Bay Express and other fine newspapers. Right after you read Savage Love, be sure to listen to Blabbermouth, The Stranger's other podcast where Eli Sanders, Rich Smith, and I most weeks discuss the news and politics and all sorts of stuff. If you can't get enough of me ranting about politics, you can listen to Blabbermouth, too. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hertudian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We'll be back at you next week for an installment of the Savage Lovecast. 